This podcast is brought to you by Men's Tea Clinic. Men's Tea Clinic is the team I trust with my total wellness optimization, and so should you. Five DFW locations with North Frisco, El Dorado Parkway at Dallas North Tollway now open. Call 972-GO-MEN'S-TEA or visit mensteaclinic.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. About to get the latest on the Miami Dolphins from ESPN's own Marcel Louis-Jacques, who's about to join us here courtesy of the Boomer Jacks Bar and Grill Hotline. We got the top 10 coming up on the other side. Top 10 Christmas movies, all right? I do this every year on our final day leading into Christmas. America's top 10 Christmas movies. What's yours? We'll do that. Uh, We'll have Nick Harris, DallasCowboys.com coming up an hour from now as we roll into hour number three of the G-Bag Nation. Zach Wolchuk, Brian Broaddus, Lucius Alexander, Carter Freeman, of course, and you, our Turn It On Leave It On listeners. We love you, and thank you so much for watching us on Twitch and YouTube as well. But without further ado... Miami Dolphins reporter for ESPN, Marcel Louis-Jacques. Marcel, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Man, we are, uh, we're definitely pumped for this matchup. This is going to be fun. Cowboys haven't been to South Beach for a while. What's the latest on the Dolphins? How are they looking health-wise? Well, I mean, the big one you got to start with is Tyreek Hill, right? Uh, missed last week's game with the ankle injury. Mike McDaniel today didn't necessarily confirm or deny if it was a high ankle sprain. Uh, but he did return to practice. Hill did return to practice yesterday, practice again today. He's questionable technically for Sunday. I think all signs are pointing toward the NFL's leading receiver rejoining the team. Uh, so Cowboys can expect to see him. Starting right guard Robert Hunt, though, he won't play. Uh, he's missed the past couple games with the hamstring injury. He's going to add another one to that on Sunday. Some questionable tags for its run. Armstead, Javon Holland, which is uh, – you know that's that's a that's a big one considering uh, considering the weapons in Dallas's passing game. Uh, you know Javon Holland's kind of the quarterback of Miami's defense there at safety. Uh, they played without him for the past few games. They've struggled uh, once or twice without him. They're obviously better with him in the game. He's questionable, but I wouldn't necessarily expect him to go come Sunday. Devon Achan, though, the star rookie, no designation. He's going to play. So. Uh, if you got about 30 more minutes, I can run down the rest of the injury report for you, but I think those are the big names. Yeah, Marcel, what about at the right tackle spot with Jackson, though? Where, where are they on that one? Austin Jackson told uh, reporters in the locker room today he expects to play on Sunday. He's got to have that cleared, obviously, by trainers. Sure. Uh, you know, that would be that'd be a big one, man. That would be a big one because uh, if Teron doesn't play and, and Austin doesn't play, that that's all five offensive line starters out against maybe the most terrifying pass rusher in the NFL right now. And that's not what you want. So uh, they need, if they're going to have any starters in, you know, obviously they want to run Armstead there at left tackle, but uh, you know, Austin Jackson as well, just so you have those bookend guys to uh, try to slow down Michael Parsons. More so when you were, you know, uh, hanging out there in the locker room and getting your stories and your information and stuff is the, is the Cowboys pass rush. They're the biggest fear of the dolphins and, do they feel like, well, wait a minute, we saw Buffalo just hammer them in the run game, and that's what we do pretty well, and that's how we're going to combat it. Is that what you kind of feel like, that the Dolphins, are the, are they scared of the Cowboys pass rush in that way to the point that they would commit to running the football, like much like Buffalo did? 
You know, I never want to say that a team is scared. Uh, I, I think you, we can, I think we can safely say they respect the hell out of these edge rushers and the sure. front seven and pass rush without a question. Also, a lot of respect uh, in the secondary for Deron Bland. Uh, you know, a lot of compliments to it. Specifically, saying you know you don't do you don't come out come away with a record like that just by luck. You don't just kind of like poop that out. You you really right. got to earn it. So there's there's a lot of respect there. Numerous people have called Micah Parsons one of, if not the best player in the NFL this season. Uh, certainly one of. I, I know Miami's got another candidate there in Tyreek Hill. But there's a lot of respect there. Uh, I think that this is a team at this point in Mike McDaniel's tenure and this point in the year that is very confident in their run game, probably more so than they've ever been under Mike McDaniel. Raheem Moser should crack a thousand yards uh, you know, on Sunday. That's the first time in his career. Uh, and it, it, what makes it so scary, though, especially coming off a game where you give up 200-plus rushing yards to the Buffalo Bills, is you've got two guys who nobody would bat an eye if they went for 130, 140 rushing yards. There, Raheem Mostert yeah. and then Devon Achan. Uh, and obviously, you know, Jonathan Hankins, we just saw the injury report. He's been ruled out. Uh, that's a it – is, it is – it, it's not comforting, I think, if you're, if you're a Cowboys fan – to see this matchup coming up. So uh, I think they're pretty confident that they'll be able to get that run game going. And then, you know, if, if they get the run game going, this is not Buffalo. This is a, this is maybe the best passing attack in the NFL, at, at least the most dynamic and explosive. So if Dallas has to commit more defenders to stopping the run, this one might be over before it starts. Marcel, do you, get, you guys get the opportunity to visit with the coordinators when you're doing your jobs down there? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we do. We do. Okay. Any? Okay. Did you learn anything? You know, from uh, you know, from the defensive side of the ball over there. You know, with 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 their coordinators stuff. Because you know, we've we've kind of we've kind of through the years. I mean, when he was a head coach at Denver, you know, they came in here and they really just shut Dallas down with the, with the way that they played defense. So, uh, any 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 thoughts? Any nuggets you glean from hanging hanging out with defensive coaches this week? Yeah, you know, Vic uh, Fangio's not. He's, it's not his first year in the league. He's not sure. going to give game plans away <laughs> sure. just like that. Not to the likes of me. Uh, I think the big takeaway, though, uh, that I can get from this week, or from talking to him this week, is that it's not a given that Jalen Ramsey shadows CeeDee Lamb. Okay. Uh, Ramsey, obviously, he, he turned Garrett Wilson into a spectator to the point where Ramsey actually admitted to being bored during yeah. the game in the locker room, and that's, you know, never comforting. We're bored for, uh, watching the Jets play season. offense is what we're doing, too, yeah. I was about to say, I got a lot of Christmas shopping done in the two games against the Jets. <laughs> there you go. Those have, been, uh, those have been, hey, we should thank the Jets because I had a lot of time yeah. to think up there in the press spot. But um, obviously these are completely different classes of passing attacks between the, the Jets and the Cowboys and that the Cowboys actually have one. But uh, e- either way, Jalen Ramsey has played like an all-pro ever since returning from injured reserve. The interception numbers might not be there, but no other numbers are either. Catches are low. Yards are low. QBR is low. This guy is taking away a team's best weapon week in and week out. Now, the idea when they traded for him was that they wouldn't have to have somebody shadow a top receiver. You, you, can, line, you can line your best guy up against Jalen Ramsey or Xavier Howard. Either way, the Dolphins feel comfortable, feel confident, in that matchup. But if Xavier Howard can't go, then I feel like it's going to be a scenario where Jalen Ramsey does travel wherever CeeDee Lamb goes, and that's going to give Cowboys some, and you know, Cowboys an opportunity to try to create some mismatches and play maybe play him more out of the slot, 
uh, try to get Jalen Ramsey, you know, away from the outside. But even that's tricky because Jalen's the kind of guy who can really play about five different positions, six positions there on defense. You know, basically anything that's not defensive line, I, I feel like Jalen Ramsey would excel at. So it, we're, I think we're in for a really fun matchup. I've been looking forward to this uh, Ramsey-Lamb matchup for a long time now, and I think uh, it's a good test for Miami's defense. Catching up with Marcel Louis Jacques, Miami Dolphins reporter for ESPN here in the G Bag Nation on 105.3 The Fan. You know, Mike McDaniel, I think, might be my favorite soundbite in all of the NFL. I think anybody who is, I mean, even if you're not a Dolphins fan, you probably love listening to him talk. How is he to cover? Oh, man, it's it's night and day from from the last guy that was in here. Uh, you know, I've, I've for the most part, I, I've covered coaches who, you know, don't, uh, they're not shy with the coach speak, I guess. Let's let's say that. But mm-hmm. uh, Mike, the difference here is like people think that he just gives he gives you anything, he answers any question that you want, and thoroughly. That's not necessarily true. Like he still coach speaks as well, but he does it in a way where you almost forget that he's coach speaking. You know, he he'll tell a joke, he'll be you know just overtly sarcastic, he'll make some sort of weird metaphor. Like he's he's interesting. It, 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 you never get the sense that doing this is a waste of his time. You never feel like he's dragging his feet going in there. Like it's, it's kind of a breath of fresh air. So, you know, I don't really mind the coach speak because it it always feels like our time is, is respected or at least, you know, appreciated or vice versa, whatever. And and it it makes it nice. And, And what I always, I also tell people is, you know, when he first got here, I thought that the stick would probably wear off by November, right? But nobody's got that much energy to be, you know, this outgoing, this endearing day in and day out. Man, I can tell you maybe two times, two times that I did not see Mike crack a joke or smile or anything in a, in a press conference, and both of which, you know, were under pretty severe, pretty grave circumstances. So, like, it, it's this is who he is to his core. He's not afraid to let it out. Um, I think that any concerns about his ability to lead men – uh, just watch a couple episodes of Hard Knocks, man, and that is that's him. That's him for you. He's not hiding. Well, I loved his answer to uh, the schedule and maybe playing an easy schedule this week. I mean, that's somewhat of what the Cowboys have dealt with, too, this year. Like, hey, you haven't beat a good team, even when they beat the Eagles. Cowboy fans want to say, well, you play them twice a week. It's a common opponent. How tiresome has that narrative been for Miami this year where they're 10-4, and four, but they haven't beat a team with a winning record? Oh, man, it is the world's. It's the, the world's favorite narrative, right? Uh, and I'm sure you guys are tired of hearing it down there uh, as well. But uh, it, it's just so – it's such an unnecessary argument because this is not, you know, this isn't college football. Your strength of schedule, it, it matters as like maybe what, like the sixth or seventh tiebreaker getting into the playoffs. Like it's not a relevant thing to bring up like it's all speculative if you think somebody is a contender or isn't a contender because of who they've beaten that's your opinion right that's not it's not driven in fact it's not going to keep you from entering the playoffs and not to mention every team this year has lost a game where on paper you would think no way right like there's no way you think for the season the cardinals beat the cowboys no there's yeah. no way you think the jets beat the eagles and the bills there's no way that you think the broncos and the lions beat the chiefs or the Titans beat the Dolphins. Like, everybody, it's hard to win in the NFL, man. Like, winning team, losing team, it doesn't matter. Those wins should be appreciated no matter what because it is hard to bring your A game week in and week out and withstand everybody's full punch. So, 
you know, obviously we saw a couple of weeks ago, like the Dolphins are capable of losing those games. I thought it was impressive that they hadn't lost one of those, you know, one of those games as favorites yet. But uh, I, I think they're a little tired of hearing it, uh, which is funny because, like, they must be paying attention outside because it's not like we bring it up every week sure. here. You know, it's not like we ask them their opinion on it every week. So uh, I, I think they are tired of hearing about it. And, you know, if you haven't heard Mike McDaniel's answer from earlier this week, essentially he gave his players permission to tell anyone who brings up those narratives to respectfully F off. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, if, if you want to know how they feel about it, that's about it. Hey, Marcel, uh, going into this game, I mean, we talk about all the stars that are really on both sides of the ball for both teams. Is there somebody, I always like to ask the question, is there somebody that you feel like, we're not talking about this guy, but he could be a factor in the way this game can kind of hinge one way or another? And, and, yeah. and somebody on the Dolphin, he could be an offense or a defensive player because that helps us for our, our pre- and post-game shows. Uh, when we talk to like intelligent folks like yourself <laughs> and we say, well, they brought this up. We should have known better. You got a guy. Yeah, You know, like it, it's not, this isn't somebody who's underappreciated locally. Uh, and so, you know, I, I hope that this qualifies. Uh, I hope this qualifies, but Andrew Van Ginkle. Yeah. Man, okay, yeah. Andrew Van Ginkle is a real dude. I, I think that when you look at this Dolphins team at full strength, I, especially on defense, you know, you snap to Jalen Phillips, to Bradley Chubb, to Damon Ramsey, Javon Holland, David Howard. Like, there are real stars. Kristen Wilkins, there are big-name stars on this defense. But Andrew Van Ginkle is about as good of a pass rusher as you're going to see on this team. Uh, there's a reason why the, the the Cowboys had his face taped next to Bradley Chubb, sure. you know, on their, on their practice equipment. Like, he's a real – he is a guy, um, and he's better in pass coverage than you would expect for a guy who, you know – rushes the quarterback with his hair on fire. So, uh, you know, don't be surprised to see him make plays. And then Zach Sealer as well. I think Zach Sealer may be more so than Andrew Van Ginkle. Uh, Sealer's just started to get, you know, the the hard knocks recognition. So I think he, he's not quite a home, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? A, a household, household name. name sure. yeah. yeah, That took a while to get you. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, this guy, there's a reason why they gave him a $30 million contract. Man, and he is earning every single dollar of it so far this year well he I, we interviewed zach martin and and he, he clearly had zach's attention sure when, they, when he started running through you know the guys and and you know we were just kind of talking about what a you know hard-nosed player and you know those t those tt stunts that they run and all that stuff like that he's a big part of getting guys home by the way he plays oh yeah man it's it, i i think that uh i i, I think he's People saw his contract, and I think fans down here got a little worried about yeah. what that meant for Christian Wilkins. But I, I don't think that one is at their best without the other. Right. I think they complement each other well. I think their skill sets complement each other well. I think they're highly effective together. Obviously, the chemistry is there. Again, you watch the show. You can you can tell these guys love each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and more importantly than liking each other, loving each other, is the fact that they are dominant together yeah. they're dominated against the run they're dominated against the pass uh it, it like they the dolphins defense has stars at every level and it really starts at, at their core from the production they get from zach sealer and christian wilkins marcel last football question for you but i i'm curious your thoughts on tua because i think much like dak a lot of people debate like how good is tua i thought last week was a big game for him being able to go out and perform with the backup line and no tyreek hill What's the thinking of how good Tua is there in Miami? 
Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm glad that you you brought that up. You know, I've, I'm obviously working on one of about a hundred stories I've written on this man, and uh, you know, looking up the some of his numbers, I, I thought it was actually pretty interesting because a, a popular critique of Tua Tonga Bailoa is that he doesn't have to do much. He's got such a great supporting cast that you know he doesn't really have to air the ball out. They don't really rely on him. He's a product of Tyreek, right? And you know he's. I think he's second in yards after completion, uh, only he's third, I think, in, in average yards after completion, fifth highest percentage of attempts at or behind the line of scrimmage this year, 17th in air yards per attempt. But he's also got the most completions of 50-plus yards that travel 20-plus through the air. So I'm not giving those 50-plus, you know, in, in terms of, okay, he, he took a four-yard slant to the house. Like, he's still airing it out, most completions of 50-plus yards, ninth highest percentage of his attempts go at least 15 air yards. He's got the highest touchdown to attempt ratio on throws of 20 or more air. He is one of the most effective deep ball passers in the NFL, period, bar none. So the argument, you know, you're kind of right on both sides. If you could say that, yeah, you know, all he, does, he, he can throw within 10 yards, five yards of the line of scrimmage and let those guys do the work from there, the numbers back up that argument, sure. But – if you want to argue that this guy can also stretch the field better than most quarterbacks in the league this year, that's absolutely correct as well. So like, I, I think, you know, by those powers combined, that equals a pretty complete quarterback. If you ask me, uh, this system is built around him. The skill players brought in were brought in specifically because they complement what Tua does well. And they, they are, you know, what they do well is accentuated what he does well. So it, it's, it's kind of this perfect system built by, by Mike McDaniel and his staff and Chris Greer, the general manager down here. I, there's a reason why it's working out. I, I, I think, you know, in football, we are far too willing to place all the credit or all the blame on a single entity, right? And the reality is, like, this is a – I've been saying this all year. This is a cake, and, and every ingredient is high quality. You know, you don't eat a cake and you say, oh, man, these are great eggs. Oh, man, I don't know. The milk is doing all the work here. Oh, man, the whole thing is put together to make this delicious item. And that is what I would describe the Miami Dolphins offense as like. Well, Marcel, you are quality, sir. You're an absolute beast. We really appreciate you giving us some time. Shout out to you and your fiance, Haley. You guys are quite the power couple there taking over South Beach. We love Haley. Shout out to her as well. Enjoy the game, man, and happy holidays. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. Should be a fun one. Yes, sir. There he goes. Marcel Louis-Jacques, one of the best up-and-coming reporters. They're crushing it at ESPN. And, of course, uh, newly engaged there with Haley Sutton, our old friend from DallasCowboys.com, yeah. and my fellow North Texas Mean Green. There you go. Ah, baby. All right, let's go to the top ten. America's top ten favorite Christmas movies of all time. What's your favorite Christmas movie? We'll do that next on The Fan. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Time now to get into the top 10 segment brought to you by the Frankel. Shout out to Frankel and Frankel. Now, this is always a fun list, all right, as we head into the Wooly Bully Top 10. Try and wait for this, you know, every 
last show we have leading into Christmas with the top 10 most popular Christmas movies of all time. Man, my old teammate down there in uh, New Orleans mm-hmm. just sent me a big old picture of a pot of gumbo. Oh, jeez. That's, that's what's on your mind now. Well, huh? well no, I just, I, I, I said happy holidays. You remember this? <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah, you yeah, do. Yeah, hell yeah, I do. Golly. I miss those guys down there in Louisiana. That's delicious. Yeah, but uh, yeah, this... Is this everybody has a controversy? This is controversial, right? Very controversial. Dane Brugler put out a list. He goes, I know this is going to be controversial. Okay. Yeah. So he's uh, put his three top three out. So, you know, that maybe I didn't want to deal with uh, all the anger if I just gave my own top 10. Maybe next year I'll grow the balls to do my own top 10. Why don't you do, why don't you, do you have the, do you have the list in mind already? Uh, personal, maybe like the top three, but I don't give, have, I don't know that a, I've gone through all three. Give a top three. I think it, for me, like, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is in the top three. Now, anything National Lampoon, I'm going to laugh at. Yeah, it's, anything. You know, Animal I, House. I, I will stop down and watch Animal House all day. And every and I know I know the movie backwards and forwards. They definitely know how to lampoon something. You know they what I mean? Do, yeah, yeah they lampoon. Do. They I do. think uh, Home Alone would be in there. And I love the Santa Claus. Tim Allen's the Santa Claus. I think it's great. And then Jim Carrey's. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I think those. Jim I, I Carrey's. I love Jim Carrey's. Okay, that's I love Jim all Carrey's. right. Jim now, Carrey's. I, I haven't guess. seen the OG animated one. You haven't? No. No, that's really good. So, I don't know about Jim Carrey's, bro. Really? But look, you're not alone. Eddie Murphy said it's one of his favorite uh, holiday movies. I, love it. I don't understand how. There's something about it, man. Like him and the dog yelling at each other. Yeah, it's just <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, but in the new one that came out, I kept falling asleep trying to watch it. So it might be great. That's weed. That's weed. Corey, yeah. And it might have been. Uh, Corey was saying, like, oh, that's he thinks it's better. Maybe it is. But I, I do love uh, Jim Carrey's as well. But to me, those are some of the classics. What are your uh, favorite Christmas movies? Ooh, uh, Trading Places. Okay. I like Trading Places yeah, that's a, a gr- lot. That's a great Fantastic. one. Yeah. I love that one. And my favorite one is Gremlins. Yes. Gremlins, Gremlins is a Christmas movie. It's an actual Christmas movie. It is. The, oh. the, the Mugwai was a Christmas gift. Yeah. Yeah, Gremlins is because that's debated too. I'm like, no, nah, Gremlins is 100 percent a Christmas 100%. movie. 100 percent. And then I used to be on the side that was no, Die Hard's not a Christmas movie, but no, 100 percent is. It's it not. takes place. You don't think it, it takes is? place at Christmas time? There's no Christmas, nothing in there. It's not even a mention. There's trees. There's Christmas There's trees. trees in the building. All in the Christmas party they're at. Yeah. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, okay. I feel like there's <laughs> the hell are you laughing at? There's like a, there's underlying tones of Christmas. The way you well, just go. I used to is agree it? with you. Yeah. I used to. Agree, I felt the same. And then I I got so many people that are like, no, believe you, it is a Christmas movie. And I went back and watched it. I'm like, you know what? He was meeting her for a Christmas, wasn't he? Okay, that was. Yeah. I can, it is. It's been a while since I've seen it. You know? I can, yeah. Rewatch, and you're gonna be like, all right, bleep it. I give in. It is. It's yeah, a Christmas. It's been a minute. Movie. They got it listed as number sixteen all time. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's 1988. A, it's an honorable mention on this list. So is the Santa Claus, okay, which I'm very me, upset about. Let me let me ask a question of you two fine gentlemen. Are we is there a certain element of time that you're not going back to, like a year? Like it, it, all these movies have to be 2000 movies, years of 2000, or I don't like the newer Christmas movies. Actually, okay. I agree with you. Yeah, I like mean, the older ones. You're I, not you're not going back to like a Wonderful Life in like 1947 or something like well, that. Well, that's, that's good. It, yeah. it, and, and I saw It's a Wonderful Life within the last 10 years for the first time. Is and that I the was, guy that hated his family and everything. Then uh, Ghost was like, but trading places. Dead? You're right, Lucius. Trading places, 1983. That's a you know like I mean, I'm not going pre 1980. I mean although okay that's what I'm asking. Some of the claymations I did have to watch because my ex Home was, Alone was 1990. 
So, but other than those claymation ones, like Miracle on 34th Street, I know that was, I think, even in the early 90s. How about the cartoon, like Rudolph oh, no, the Red the, the Nose Reindeer? Was 47. Yeah, see, that's yeah. going to be 1964. In the top 10. Yeah. And it's an easy watch, like wait, 30 minutes. Wait, Miracle on 31st Street? 34th Street, yeah. You thought that was in the 90s, you just said? I think no, they no, had a no. remake of it that was oh, in the okay. 90s. Yeah, did they? I think they did. Okay. But that was in the, like, I'm not this going is, back and watching the 1947. It's good, version. bro. You don't is like it? watching the old school movies? I do. It's a problem, man. I enjoyed It's a Wonderful Life. You see, like what was cool technology to them at the time. Yeah, I like they, watching that stuff like that. They, they, they thought they were they thought they were going the right direction. I'll give Home Mac another shot. Wonderful Life was 1946. Yeah, and okay. then the remake came out. Uh, we had the the remake of Miracle on 34th Street in '94, and that one I've seen, but I didn't go back and watch the 1947 Christmas Story. 1990. Lucius is right. All the good ones are all old the movies. good ones. Are all the yeah. new ones are kind of weird. It's like a murderous Santa or something like that. We got weird stuff. Happening. Weird stuff now. Man. I think like Elf might have been the last good Christmas movie that was. 2003. Yeah, Elf was good. How about this Bad Santa? Was that any good? Oh, Santa yes! Was good. Okay, Bad Santa might have been newer than Elf. Yes! Bad Santa might be the last good one Bad Santa's 2003, too. Okay, it looks like my man. It looks like my, my, it looks like Billy Bob Thornton's boozing it up in this yeah, thing. Man. Oh, he is. is he yeah. a drunk Santa? Yeah, he's a drunk Santa. He's getting down that hot tub, too. Hell yeah. Santa, you love Santa, it. Santa, he's Santa. <laughs> Scrooged. Scrooge is one of my favorites, And I man. put that on the list. I'm going to try to watch it over the watch weekend. Watch that. Oh, the Muppet. The Muppet Christmas Carol. That's really good. It is actually really good. I love that movie as a kid. Anything with the Muppets, I think, yeah. is pretty cool. Jingle All the Way. Shout out to Zach Martin for bringing this up. Jingle All the Way is underrated. That is a good movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, man. I, did, I didn't even know this was a movie. What? Jingle? The Year Without Santa Claus, 1974. Haven't Whoa. seen it. <laughs> Haven't seen it. <laughs> Christmas like, with the Cranks. Just being texted 11. in. Yeah. Didn't love it. But, hey, if that's your favorite. Uh, for Christmas Vacation, Elf, Bad Santa, Home Alone, Jingle All the Way, Die Hard, Batman Returns, in that order. Batman Returns is. And that is a Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah, Trading Places is the best one out of this whole thing. Yes. We got. Uh, which one of those Fridays was a Christmas movie? Friday After Next? Is that the one The one with Cat Williams? I always get them confused. I think it's Friday After Next. Where were your antennas? Yeah, and Friday After I mean, I, I love all the Friday movies, so I'm totally down to put Friday After Next in there. Uh, okay, People are telling me Scrooge is amazing. I need to watch it. I That's 1988. It's yeah. It's really good, bro. Yeah. Bill Murray? Yeah. He's like a, a TV executive or something like that. It's crazy. It's really good. Okay. Somebody texted in planes, trains, and automobiles. I thought there, that was a Thanksgiving yes, joint. Yes. I've seen that that is one of the most popular Thanksgiving movies, not Christmas movies. Mm. But maybe people just dig it for the holidays. Yeah. Uh, Reindeer Games. Is that a Big Brother reference from the 214? 972-8 Crazy Nights with Adam Sandler. There we go. That's my guy. Uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and I'll die on that hill, says our buddy Tanner. Yes, man. He's also fighting for Gremlins as well. Yeah, now Gremlins is amazing. Definitely is. Pure Christmas movie. So here's the top ten, loved by America. And the whole whole city, he tore the whole city of not paying attention. All you had to do is follow just three instructions. Yep. Yep. Now the whole city's tore up because of you. It's your damn fault. Number ten is Nightmare Before Christmas. Which I know Night Christmas Amber. is in the title, but that's oh, a Halloween Oh, yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. Jack. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. He wants to steal. He loves Christmas, yeah. so he steals Christmas and brings it back to Halloween. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? Yeah. Number nine is Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh-huh. The Jim Carrey one. That's some scary stuff, by the way, that uh-huh. Dr. Seuss will kind of play with your mind a little oh, bit. Oh, it will. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely will. Number eight is Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, with the bird lady. That's good. I don't know that I put it in my top ten, but it's good. Hmm. Number seven is the Polar Express. That's a that's a movie. Yep, animated. Tom Hanks stars in it. Oh, okay. Uh, number six is Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer from nineteen sixty four claymation version. Yeah, fantastic. Number five is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. 
Found it'd be higher. A little disappointed. What are we doing, America? Somebody texts in Rambo First Blood. Is that a Christmas movie? <laughs> <laughs> Sleepless in Seattle, getting some love. Lethal Weapon, also <laughs> Christmas, <laughs> Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> Number four is It's a Wonderful Life. Ask this, though. Hello, old savings and loan. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> That's a good impression. Wow, thanks. What was the other movie? Uh... Mr. Smith comes to Washington or something that that guy. Yeah, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Yes, Jimmy yeah. Stewart. fantastic. Jimmy like Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. You know? He's great. Talk like that. He did. He sure did. Number three, maybe the most All overrated Christmas movie, A Christmas Story. Yeah, I'm with you. We're 100 overrated. It's very overrated. What's, like, what's overrated about it, gentlemen? It gets 24 hours of being played straight on TNT and TBS, or maybe it's just TBS now, but because TNT gets some basketball. But A Christmas Story is very overrated. Like, it's a good one-time watch. I don't care to ever see it again. Wow. Pretty hard on that, huh? Am I? I mean, solid movie, but we don't need a 24-hour loop Like, on the Entertainment Network, they're saying that's number two all time. Clearly, people love it, or they wouldn't hear it. that's algorithms. Come on. That's bots. Bots? Yeah, clicking for you. Bleep the bots. Number two is Elf. Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell's great in a lot of things. He is. And Elf might be one of his best. Number one, though. Most popular Christmas movie in America. Goodfellas. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Charlie Brown Christmas. Hey. Charlie Brown Christmas was an honorable mention. Hey. And Charlie Brown Christmas is bad. I'm hey. down on any Charlie hey. Brown. Yeah. Uh, but Home Alone. What? Home Alone does come in at number one. You don't like Home Alone? Well, you haven't seen I, it. I haven't we seen talked it. about that. Gosh dang it. <laughs> I like, I react, what? I react to these How movies. How the hell is that number one? I well, you haven't seen it, Brian. <laughs> hey, how about this? They, they say this movie, Love Actually. Okay, Love Actually, pretty good movie. And uh, Hugh Grant. I like Hugh Grant. Yes, that is honorable mention on here, as is The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, you said that already? I didn't say it. No, oh. I missed it. Uh, but Love Actually, Are you making that up? No, Love Actually deserves love. Okay. Because it, it's a good movie. Lucy, she field. never seen Love Actually? No. Okay. Four right. Weddings and a Funeral Guy. Rocky's getting Notting a Hill. Lot that was, of, Notting oh, Hill was a good one. Shout out to the 972 Jack Frost. I did like Jack Frost. Groundhog Day? Groundhog Day in a Christmas movie, is it? <laughs> no. It's Groundhog, it's Groundhog Day. Day. It's Groundhog Day. <laughs> what are we doing? Jumanji. You, just, you got drawn off sides. Hut, hut, hut. Come on. Cocaine Bear, not a Christmas movie. It happened during Christmas, bro. It happened during <laughs> yeah, Christmas. What are we, we're opening a can of worms here, man. Uh, does Harry Potter count as Christmas movies? They do celebrate Christmas. It, they usually did come out in December, right around the holiday season. So you could, you could rock Harry Potter if you wanted. And Klaus on Netflix is getting some love. The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, huh? man. There was something on Netflix I wanted to see. It's a Christmas movie, but I hear it's kind of like scary. Yeah, uh, okay. I'm out. Well, ever since Friday the 13th, at first when I, I paid, I said, I'm never paying money again to be scared. Was, yeah, I, I, am, I, am, I am not. If you ask me to go to a horror movie, I, no. Yeah, I, I am. I am. I am. I'm out on that. I am so out. All right, bet payoff. I believe in Santa on Netflix. I got that in the queue, and I can't wait to see it. I'll tell you what. I, seriously, I, I no. I, I would do anything but go to a horror movie. All right. That seriously. sounds like a good bet payoff. I'm idea not to me. doing that. Uh-uh. All right. Let's go around the bases. The super team that is brewing in L.A. and some rule changes for the upcoming season. We'll talk about that next. Thank you, L.A. About to go around the bases here on the Home of Your World Series champion, Texas Rangers, 105.3, the fan of the G-Bag Nation. Coming up at the top of the hour, Nick Harris, DallasCowboys.com. As we're also your home for Dallas Cowboys football. We'll catch up with him, get the latest on America's team. But the signing has officially happened as we discussed the possibility of this yesterday. The Phillies had made an offer. The Mets and the Yankees were trying to pursue Yamamoto, the Japanese star. But it is indeed the L.A. Dodgers who reached an agreement on a 12-year, $325 million deal last night 
ending that frenzy of free agency for Yamamoto, the largest deal for a pitcher in years and value in Major League Baseball history. Uh, they will pay an additional $50.6 million posting fee to Yamamoto's previous team, the Oryx Buffaloes, and that pushed the Dodgers' free agent spending this winter to more than a billion dollars when you add that with Shohei Otani. Absolutely crazy. Jeff Passan of ESPN shared the details on this historic signing. What are the Dodgers getting in this picture? The Dodgers, Scott, are getting an anomaly. Uh, you know, Yoshinobu Yamamoto is five foot ten and 176 pounds and throws right-handed. And generally, when you have those physical characteristics, you're talking about a guy who sort of nibbles on the edges. No, Yamamoto is a power pitcher in the making of Pedro Martinez and Tim Lincecum and other small guys who know how to impart power on the baseball. And, you know, he doesn't lift weights. He, he throws around mini soccer balls and mini javelins and does stretching and yoga and breathing. But he has somehow figured out how to perfect his body to throw a baseball at exceptional speeds up to 99 miles per hour with a split finger fastball that is otherworldly and a curveball that drops five and a half feet. So what the Dodgers have gotten, quite simply, is probably one of the 10 best pitchers in the world. And it costs them $325 million to do it. But that is $325 in an offseason where they've already spent $700 million on Shohei Otani and another $136 million on Tyler Glasnow. This is the Dodgers, Scott, assembling the Avengers and putting together the super team they hope to end all super teams in Los Angeles. I'll say this, though, Brian. And you know, because you put together many teams in the National Football League. When's the last time a super team worked? They usually don't end well. Well, in football, we thought about back in the day that was the Philadelphia Eagles tried to get all those guys together. Um, I think, to be honest with you, I think what the Dodgers are doing is, I, I, I would trust the Dodgers. I would absolutely, we've seen the Yankees for years put mm -hmm. together. The Yankees, you know, they've had, they've had success in their history. Uh, I, this, this one to me, I think the only thing that stops the Dodgers will be injury. That's the only thing that stops them right now. That's a, it's a hundred win baseball team. And they, you know, they continue to add pitching yeah. and, you know, and, and, it, what's fascinating to me, and I'm reached out to a couple of my scouting buddies in Major League Baseball, because I was, I was curious. I didn't know this guy was five ten, yes. and 170 something pound. And I'm curious, I'm curious because usually you think with pitchers, you think about length, and you know you think well, about you the Darvish, ability, right? And you, you think was about like yeah, six four, and you think about the ability to you know to drive off the mound and you know drive off the rubber, and you know we they always talk about. Well, all those metrics about well where you know the, where the plant foot you know hits and how close you are to home plate and it seems just really unique to me that a guy could be and I'm trying to I, I'm not going to sit here and act like I know every small pitcher that's ever well, I was pitch thinking or Dice K like with the Red Sox you know Dice K was the last Japanese pitcher uh, maybe around that size but Dice K was even six foot and his first two years in the bigs were pretty good. Uh, had was a Cy Young contender in 2008 when they went 18 and three, and then the rest of it was you know a little bit hit and miss there for Dice K. I think injuries played a factor there, but you're right. I mean that's a good point because I mean you certainly had a ton of success I mean, the, with the Rangers. The Dodgers, the Dodgers to me, they Dodgers have had power pitchers. 
but I don't ever remember them having, uh, you know. Well, Tim Lincecum, maybe. But uh, that was that was Frisco, right? I mean, that was that was San Francisco Giants. Yes. Like the, well, I'm just thinking like oh, you're successful just short, short pitchers. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, I think that's actually an interesting point that I didn't consider. But I do think we've seen a, a lot of these players come from J- Japan, and, and they've actually been really, really successful. I don't doubt the Yamamoto will have success personally. I think he's going to be pretty darn good. From my era, there was a guy named Doug Drabeck. He used to pitch for the Pirates. And I always kind of thought that Doug Drabeck was a small guy, but he's six one. I mean, that might be a, a, a lie. 6'1", 185. But, he, they, you know, Passon said that this guy's 5'10". Yeah. 170-something? That, that, that to me, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just, I get, I get, not that I always get caught up in numbers, but I just feel like that to me when you look at these pitchers and what we've seen nowadays, and I, I said it before, the metrics are always about the ability, how far, you know, what, what's your stride length, uh, how close are you to the batter? You know, how close are you to home plate when you deliver? You know, does that make it, you know, and this one seems like to me that, uh, man, it's just crazy. Okay, here's here's what, all right, here we go. My here sc- we go. Here's my scouting buddy. Okay. <laughs> this is what he said. I, I love when I can get these you things. Say, go bleep yourself, Brian. The I, kid's I, amazing. I'm going to do this right off the jump. I'm just going to do He's this right off. got a golden right arm. Yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this right off the jump. Okay, here we go. Great athlete. Insanely flexible. Mid-90s fastball with above-average carry. Okay, that's what we're talking about, right? That carry. That will come down a bit with uh, a major league ball, but should be above-average. Okay, so I guess in Japan, we have a different size of a ball. There is a different, and somebody texted that in, yes, it it is different. Isn't the ball bigger in America versus Japan? It is from the 682. Well, here we go. All right. Double plus splitter. Okay. That will play very well. Uh, curveball has spin and depth, but won't use as much against major league hitters. Okay, likely third, fourth pitch for him. So the the uh, what do we say? Splitter's the, the splitter, his best pitch. Yeah, the splitter. Likely third and fourth pitch for him. Cutter and uh, what's SL uh, slider will end up being developed more by the Dodgers. <laughs> He's a second starter that is undersized and requires some adjustments to Major League Baseball. Overpaid for him, but he's only 25 and great athlete. So I get it, my buddy said. Intense makeup, not a traditional Japanese demeanor on the mound. Okay. So maybe he's got some. So that, that was a scouting buddy of mine, man. That that was a uh, – he, he was – I can always count on this guy to <laughs> fill me in on these players. I mean, it's pretty amazing what the Dodgers have yeah. right now. Yamamoto, Glass now, Walker Bueller. I mean, that top three, and then Bobby Miller and Emmett Sheehan. They, they, they certainly are building a rotation that is comparable with the best in Major League Baseball. Uh, a couple of good texts that came in, and, and really it is in the NBA. Like the 214, I, as I was asking that question, I thought the Miami Heat, like the last super team, the Heatles. And of course, the Mavs beat them. Right. Then they went on to win two championships. The Warriors, the Warriors that were organically built. And then they just added Kevin Durant. Yeah. So I suppose, like, yeah, maybe they added a superstar piece and you could look at them as a super team, but they still drafted Steph and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson. So that wasn't like we're going out and signing a bunch of guys. But uh, that, that's – and then the Boston Celtics. But, like, the Brooklyn Nets failed. That didn't end up working out recently. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see, does this work and is this end up worth it for the Dodgers going out and spending all I, of this it's gotta It's got to work out. You know, the only – I mean – 
You got a gotta, gauntlet that you got to go through yeah, in the National League. Yeah, the you know Glass now we saw him. I mean, we saw him at but Tampa. health. I mean, that's yeah, a good the point health, with him. The health is uh, health. Shohei Otani clearly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. already had to have elbow surgery. So you're right. I mean, maybe Dawson will be losing his damn mind right now signing the Rangers. Players. Did yeah. It? Yeah, 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 no yeah, doubt. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk with Nick right, wait, Harris. Yeah. Real quick, real quick. Uh, oh, my guy said he, I saw he saw I saw this guy several times. He's fun. I don't know if he's a three hundred million dollar player. But that's what the market said he was worth. Right. And you had to overpay if you wanted to go get him. And that's what the Dodgers did. And hopefully he works out there. And uh, certainly playing with Otani was uh, a big reason for Yamamoto, as it was for Glass now as well, to go join the Dodgers. So congratulations. They're winning the offseason. We'll see if it results in success on the diamond. Nick Harris, DallasCowboys.com. To get you set for Cowboys, Dolphins joins us next on The Fan. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.